Thank you. Laura's going to um, come and share a few uh, prophetic words after I've spoken, and we're, uh, when we, we're going to go into a little ministry time afterwards. But it's brilliant to be with you. It's a little while since I've been at Abbey, but I know lots of you, and I'm just really pleased to be here in Merthyr Tidville. I'm <laughs> quite a random thing. Um, I have been on a bit of a, a sort of preaching tour for some random reason at this time in my life. I had sort of, I realized I had nine weeks of consecutive preaching engagements all over the place, including Merthyr Tidville, probably the most glamorous place that I am going to be on. Um, and totally coincidentally, um, tomorrow morning I'm in Cardiff, so I'm staying overnight in Cardiff, me and Laura, and uh, we're going to a little Baptist church. So... Uh, yeah, so basically, Stuart and Esther said that I can talk on whatever I want to talk on, so that's good, and so I'm going to talk on one of my favorite subjects, and want something that I talk about a lot, and, and it is the power, the supernatural power of forgiveness, that's what I want to talk about, um, because... Uh, some of you know me well, and others of you don't know me very well at all, but for the last 30 years, I have been... Uh, working at, well, I work at, I'm one of the leaders at Woodlands Church, but, but for the last 30 years I've been doing prayer ministry and counselling with people. So when I left university, came back to Bristol, um, and just started to work out what I wanted to do with my life, one of the things I did was trained as a counsellor, started working with network counselling, which some of you might be aware of in the city. It was all very different in those days. And... Um, now, I'm not quite sure where they are now. Does anyone know where they are in the city? Felton. Right, okay. Well, back then, they were in uh, Cotton Park, which is where I live now. Totally randomly. So, back then, they were, it was the headquarters of Network Christian Counselling, and I worked as one of the counsellors there, volunteered as one of the counsellors there. I didn't know my husband. I hadn't got any kids. I was just sort of starting my life after university. And if you had told me that in a few years' time you're going to be living in this house with your six children and with another 14 young adults, because I live in what is now a Christian community, I'd have thought you were totally mad. So isn't it strange how life turns out? But I live in a Christian community in the place where Network used to have its headquarters. I live with 14 people, I've got six children, and yeah, life is very busy, as you can imagine. Um, but in all of that time, last 30 years, I've, I have done an awful lot of, nothing awful about it, a great lot of um, meeting up with people one-to-one and talking through things that people get stuck on and trying to work out how to help people move on, grow, get healing, get freedom. Freedom is kind of something of a passion for me. I feel like God put it on my heart 30 years ago that it was possible that, you know, Jesus offered to give us abundant life was, was actually real. He meant it. It wasn't like a figure of speech that we would just have a very mild version of it. He really meant that we could have abundant life. And, um, and it sort of got under my skin and I felt like that was... I, I really knew that God was calling me to try and understand what that meant, understand what freedom looks like in the life of a person, how to, even, how to get there. And let's be really honest, it's not always that easy to live an abundant life. Put your hands straight up in the air now if you feel like your life is on the abundant end of the scale. Look, no one's hand is up. Come on, couple, good. Jesus said, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. That is a challenge, isn't it? And one of the things that I feel like I have realized over the years is that one of the keys to unlocking Abundant life is forgiving others. And I know it doesn't, it seems like an unassuming little key, but to me it is a little golden key. And it unlocks all sorts of things. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to read um, in a moment, I'm going to read a passage from the book of Luke. While I was thinking about this, I was going to play you a little clip from the very end of Great Expectations. Who is familiar with that film? 
So it is the story of Pip and Estelle, this couple who fall in love. But in the shadow of Estelle's life is Mrs. Havisham. You know who I'm talking about? The lady with cobwebs in her hair. And really the best version of the film is the 1946 black one, black and white one that I grew up watching on Saturday afternoons. And the very last scene is when Pip sort of rushes into Estelle's bedroom where she is... Sort of got, she sort of locked herself away in bitterness because she's been coached by Mrs. Havisham to be a bitter person who will not forgive and move on. And Pip, who is in love with her, can't bear it. And he bursts into her room and he rips the curtains off and he's full of clouds of dust and he shouts that he's not going he's gonna let the light in because he realizes that his love is locked in the darkness because of unforgiveness. And that's really what Charles Dickens was exploring, the power of unforgiveness to keep us locked in the past. And that's Mrs. Havisham absolutely symbolizes being locked away in the past with cobwebs in her hair and still sitting in her wedding dress because she was jilted at the altar. And I, I wonder if you have ever recognized in yourself a little bit of Mrs. Havisham, a bit of an ability to to get stuck over an offence or something that's been done to you or said or not done to you or not said and being aware in yourself that it isn't that easy to just move on, is it? I just want you to turn to the person next to you. I'm going to give you two questions to talk about just for a minute, just to sort of get your brains working. I know it's after tea and you're going to bed soon, but I'm going to make you work a little bit first of all. I just want you to talk to the person next to you and answer these two questions. What You're going to have to reach back into your past. It may be that none of you have done anything wrong since you were little children, so it might have to think back to then. What is it like to be forgiven? Second question, what is it like to forgive someone? Now, there's no right answer. I just want you to try and evoke some of the feelings, the, you know, what is it, what's hard, what's easy? What is it like to be forgiven, to be on the receiving end of it? And what is it like to try and forgive someone? Okay, you've got a couple of minutes. Go for it. Okay then, got your minds going? Can anyone share with me just just one or two thoughts? What is it like to be on the receiving end of forgiveness? What is it like? Just shout out a couple of things. Relief, Relief? what else? Sorry? Acceptance, yeah, accepted. Anyone else? Release? It's a relief, and it's a release. You feel accepted. Anything else? Sorry? Weight lifted. Okay. Anyone ever found it hard to be forgiven? Can be a bit, can't it? (laughs) Swallowing the pride. What about um, to forgive someone? What are the things that that evokes? What are the feelings? Easy? Right, why? What are the things that make it hard? 
You've the hurt. The hurt is present in it. What else? Anger. Anger. Disappointment. Has anyone in the room not had to forgive someone in their life? Right. So we're all in the same boat, okay? Forgiveness is not a very easy thing to give out, is it? It's not sometimes that easy to receive. The whole area of being forgiven and giving out forgiveness to others is painful. It is an area where you've got to tread a bit lightly. It is the area of hurt, disappointment, anger, frustration. It is human, isn't it? I don't know if animals ever have to forgive each other. I sort of doubt it. It's a higher consciousness action to forgive someone. And if you've ever heard someone um, forgive someone publicly, perhaps you have. If you're my age, you might remember the Enniskillen thing that happened in Northern Ireland, the bomb where the father very publicly forgave the IRA for killing his daughter. That went across the news across the world and has been repeated. The story of that has over and over again because there's something so powerful and extraordinary about a great act of forgiveness. It crosses so many boundaries, doesn't it? Um, And I don't know if any of you remember the strange tale of um, the man... His surname was Castro, I think, that that locked up the girl about five years ago, and she was suddenly freed. She'd been locked up for nine years and held captive by him. And the story sort of unfolded, and it was such a strange and awful story. But there was this very public um, interview with her mother, Gina de Jesus, her name was. And she said this. Somebody said to her, a reporter said to her, if you were to face the man who had locked up your daughter for nine years, what would you say to him now? I mean, imagine that. What would you say? She said this. I would hug him. And I would say, God bless you. I would say, God bless you. And I'd hug him. I do not hate him. I forgave him years ago. I forgave whoever did it. I just let her go. Because when you start to hate a person, that eats you up, she said. And I don't have time for that. I have to be. I know I I want to be happy, she said, like I am now. The statement was a complete turnaround from her initial reaction when she learned that her daughter was alive and had been a prisoner for nine years. And she had collapsed to the ground and cried out for vengeance after learning she'd been held captive, shouting out, kill him. So this woman who'd been through this absolute trauma of nine long years... Um, and when she first heard that who it was, her first reaction was kill him. <laughs> but she got to this place of saying that she would be able to hug him and say, God, forgive you. I forgive you. I bless you. That is superhuman, isn't it, really? And I just want to read to you now a passage from Luke 6. And I think this is one of the most radical things that has ever been said to the human race. It's a teaching of Jesus. And if you just think about what this is saying to human beings, think about our world, think about the trauma that our world is in, conflict, difficulty, think about our nation, our neighborhoods, the families that are around. Think about them. Think about the things that have happened to you in your life and that happen in amongst you in your community. And just listen to this radical teaching. There is nothing like it that has ever been said to human beings. Ever. It is extraordinary and it is so radical and challenging it's almost unbearable. Jesus says, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, I, we just hear those words and we recognize that that is beyond the natural boundaries of our human instincts. It is one thing to forgive those in our family that we love, but it is another order altogether of forgiveness, a higher calling to be able to forgive those who have really hurt us, our enemies. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would give heaven's wisdom to us this evening. It says in the Bible that heaven's wisdom is pure and peace-loving. And I pray that its wisdom would just infuse the atmosphere now as I speak. I pray that each mind would receive something of that kind of fresh air of the kingdom of God that is so different to our natural air. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I just thought I'd go there this evening. I think that Jesus empowered his followers and calls his followers to live beyond natural human limitations. He expects us to do things that aren't natural to us. That, that we're normally held back in. He expects us to live by the power of the Spirit, not just by our own human spirit. That's absolutely what Jesus taught and expected his followers to do. And he also taught very eloquently. You might remember story, the story he told of the parable of the unforgiving servant who where the servant who had been forgiven a great sum of money went out and immediately sort of called in his debts on a tiny amount. And this unforgiving servant, the, the, it came to the notice of the king who had forgiven him his debts, that he'd been so unforgiving with somebody else. And Jesus spoke of the kind of the rage, really, of the king at hearing that someone to whom he'd been merciful was unable to hand on the mercy because Jesus really expects us to do that, hand on mercy. That is the way of the kingdom, and it is not the way of the world. <laughs> Normal to Jesus. He taught that unforgiveness is like a prison. So in the end of that parable, he, the, the, it is a story. It's not a, an account of something that actually happened. It's a, it's a story with meaning, a parable that Jesus taught. And the, the servant ends up getting chucked into prison. And really, Jesus there is saying that there's something about not being merciful that, look, that looks and feels and is experienced very much like a prison. And in all honesty, I would say after 30 years of meeting up with people, many, many people are in prisons. Not in the whole of their life. You know, in many ways, they're just carrying on and doing the stuff and leading good lives, but there are areas of their lives that are locked away as if part of their personality, their history, their life is locked away in a prison. And actually the effect of it is a bit like it, it sort of strips us of life and it dampens down our capacity to lead abundant lives. And I feel like I've seen probably hundreds of times in my life and my ministry, seen people unlock the doors of those prisons of different areas of their life and walk out of them with this little golden key, the unassuming key of forgiveness. So I'm just going to spend a little bit of time talking to you about forgiveness, why it's hard, how to do it, give some pictures and ideas of of um, what that might look like. But I think we've got to recognize that to be human is to be vulnerable to being hurt. There's nobody in the room who hasn't had to forgive somebody at some point. And the reason why you have to forgive is because you get hurt. 
If you're not hurt, you don't usually find it hard to forgive. You know, the hurt is the thing, isn't it? And we're very vulnerable, and we're meant to be. We're not meant to be tough people who are so impervious to somebody hurting us or if somebody says something nasty about us or critical, we're not supposed for it to just bounce off us like water off a duck's back so it doesn't matter. That's not the, the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be vulnerable. That's normal. And actually you want to be around vulnerable people, don't you? You don't want to be around a load of kind of really insensitive, totally sort of zoned out people who don't care what anyone says. So we're stuck, really, aren't we? We're stuck in the, the problem is that vulnerability is what makes human beings interesting. Is anyone familiar with Brené Brown? So she's like a really popular teacher, in, and she's a, a researcher. She's researched shame for 10 years and um, the, the issue of shame in human beings. And she began to sort of do the circuits and speak and do TED Talks and things because she realized as she was researching on shame that, the aunt, that it was a very human problem. Shame, hurt, vulnerability. And she realized that the answer to shame was not to become tough and not caring, but to be able to be brave enough to be vulnerable to other people and to, and to actually recognize that we hurt each other, we're, we're in pain, and those sorts of things are normal human things. So let me just say to you a few things that I have noticed about forgiveness over the last 30 years. <laughs> forgiveness and unforgiveness affect the mind, the body, the emotions, and the spirit. They are not confined to one thing. It's not just a mental issue. If you can't forgive someone, it's not just something to do with your thinking. If you're stuck in unforgiveness, then it will affect you mentally. It will affect, <clears throat> affect your emotions. It will sometimes affect your body physically, and it will affect your spiritual life. And it's as if they're completely intertwined and you can hardly separate them out. It affects us at all levels. If there's an article in Psychology Today about unforgiveness, a secular psychology magazine. Unforgiveness is associated with things like higher rates of heart disease, cardiac arrest, higher rates of cardiac arrest, elevated blood pressure, Stomach ulcers, arthritis, back problems, headaches, and chronic pain. Stress from revenge or hateful thoughts compromises the immune system, it's thought, so that people who struggle with forgiveness are more likely to be ill. Even things like gum disease have been shown to be linked to a compromised immune system and, and unforgiveness, bitterness, Thoughts of revenge have been linked by, with many studies into these kind of physical outworkings. How fascinating. The science of unforgiveness, it's quite, there's a lot out there if you, you can Google it. Secondly, another observation. The greatest fear in forgiving people is that they'll be let off and somehow we're trivialising our own pain. The things that have been done to us, if we forgive somebody, it's like we're saying it doesn't matter. That's one of our major fears. If we let them off, it's like it doesn't matter. We know instinctively it's the right thing to do. Even if you're really stuck, you know you're supposed to do it. Fair? Fourth thing, it is possible to forgive the most awful things. It is. And, and I've witnessed that over and over and over again as I sat with people as they've forgiven. It is possible to forgive terrible things. People don't know how to forgive. That's another thing. People don't know how to do it. They think it's saying it. I forgive them. And then they realize, I didn't. I said it, but I didn't. I don't know how to do it then. What else am I supposed to do? People don't know how to forgive. But we can teach people how to forgive. 
And it's kingdom people like you and me who are supposed to teach the world how to forgive. That's our job because it's not necessarily the most obvious thing. And Jesus has given you the task of teaching the world how to forgive others. And it starts with you. Six, people don't always know when they're holding on to hurts and need to forgive. You don't always know. Sometimes what we can do when we've been hurt is we can just kind of make peace with it in a kind of lock it away sort of thing. And we feel like as time's gone on because it's gone to the back of our mind that we have forgiven but we haven't always because we're holding people to something somewhere in our mind. And seventhly, forgiveness is one of the most powerful and profound powers in the world. I feel really convinced of that. And I feel like it's a really good thing for us to go to this evening. So let's just go back and listen again to some of those words from Jesus. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So I just want you to think as I'm speaking, if, if you can think of anyone that you might not actually call them an enemy, because <laughs> that's a strong word, isn't it? But Jesus is saying, do, go, do good to those who hate you or curse you or mistreat you. That's quite a spectrum, isn't it? So who in your lives have hurt and mistreated you? Maybe there's even people in this room. And if we have not got the ability to forgive and move on with our closest community, then we're not going to be able to teach the world how to do it. So this is where it starts. It starts with being vulnerable with each other, and it starts with practicing forgiveness in our closest communities, in our families, and in our church. This is training ground. This is how we coach each other to let go of things. And when people mistreat each other, as we do in church, all the time, (laughs) human beings do. We're vulnerable and we're meant to be. And because of that, we hurt each other. This is the place where we're meant to practice. It's safe to practice here, but it can be the most painful place as well. just want to give you some little thoughts about three stages of being hurt and going into a place of needing to forgive someone and see if you can recognize any of these stages. What happens when you're hurt? The first thing that happens when somebody hurts you, says something to you that is critical. You know, that's, that's, that's a common thing that people find in life causes them to react badly is criticism. Who loves being criticized? Anyone? (laughs) What does it feel like when you're criticized? It causes a little storm of emotions, doesn't it? Anger, fear, defensiveness, hurt, trauma. It connects to other times we've been criticized. Our defenses come back up. They're just exactly the same as they were before. For some of us, it even connects back to our childhood where we recognize, oh, criticism came as a living stream in my family home from my mother or my father. I was never good enough. I was, you know, they were perfectionist or critical or anxious or whatever. And it connects us to our history, doesn't it? So if somebody says something to us, If we're really self-aware, we might recognize that we're kind of connecting it to other events in our life. And we recognize that we're already a bit sensitive. So that's the very first thing that happens is just this sort of little flurry of emotions. Hurt, pain, shock, betrayal. It says in Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. Who's been on the receiving end of reckless words? You know, somebody just saying something casually that actually pierces right to the bone. It's really hard, isn't it? Something, somebody I heard once talking on forgiveness said, if you feel a ping when someone's name is mentioned, you might need to forgive them. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to say any names, but, you know, there may be names of people that you can think of right now when you think, when you hear them, ping. You know, that tells you something. And if you're awake to it, you might recognize the Holy Spirit is prompting you a little bit. And I can remember a time when 
early on in my Christian life. Before I got married, I was going out with somebody in church and he ended up just really mistreating me and he was horrible and he was very critical and jealous and judgmental. And we split up. And afterwards, I remember feeling like every time I stood in church, this storm of anger, you know, and I could see him on the other side of the church and just seeing him there would just cause this eruption in me of anger. And the feeling I had was I can't stay here in this room worshipping God when I'm feeling like this. It made me feel like I was sort of disqualifying myself, that somehow the anger was a bit unclean and I kept walking out of church. It was a weird feeling, you know, the sort of ping of emotion because somebody had hurt me and I hadn't processed it. And it actually drove me out of church a few times. The second stage of... um, hurt and unforgiveness is that feeling of powerlessness anyone ever felt that when somebody's done something to you and you can't get to them to sort it out or they don't get it that's a real common thing isn't it they don't even know that they what they've done they don't seem to have any insight they haven't got their head in the same place as you and you just feel totally powerless to change them you would love to be able to get inside their heads and reprogram them so they think like you but you can't and it's a feeling of powerlessness and that is a really common stage of hurt and unforgiveness and from something somewhere so we do things like we put up walls we stonewall them or we criticize them behind their backs or we find somebody else who agrees with us and we come into a negative alliance with that person somebody who says yeah fair enough you know what I really like that that really annoys me too and you know because we're doing it because we feel powerless and so we start to pull people into negative alliances really common thing and then the third thing we do is we fall into this place where we pronounce judgment on the person we decide what they're like we say something about them this person is like that they're hard they're lack it they're stupid (laughs) they're critical they're disruptive they're divisive they're this they're that and we pronounce judgment we call them names we say things about them and we end up in this place where we've cast a judgment on them Those are the three stages of unforgiveness that I have noticed. The storm of emotions, the feeling of powerlessness, and then the the tendency to just just start judging people. But Jesus said this. He said, don't judge or you will be judged. With the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I think that's a really intriguing statement because I think it's Jesus in his absolute brilliance at diagnosing the human condition that when we start to make those judgments in reaction to the things that have happened to us, what happens is something starts coming back at us of a similar measure. We basically get stuck and it's like we're stuck in time. You know, you can move on in some areas of your life, but that area... It's like you're stuck. And people become emotionally very stuck and broken, locked in the past. We know this, don't we? And sometimes it feels like they're very immature in some areas, but they're doing something amazing with the other area of their life. They're a managing director. They're a CEO of a company. They're running all sorts of things, but get beneath the surface in one area of their life, and they're totally stuck. They're immature. That's one of the realities of being locked in time locked in the past and it's Jesus saying if you judge someone something will come back at you and what he really was saying is that God is supposed to be the judge of human beings Jesus said that once he said the whole, the judge of all the earth will do the right thing and he was trusting he, he was encouraging us to trust the job of judging to God so do you trust God to judge where you feel like people have failed you, criticized you, hurt you, harmed you in the past. Do you trust him 
to take on the burden of judging on your behalf because he wants you to be free of that job because you're not going to do it properly because you don't know everything and you don't understand everything. And so that's one of the things that, that I feel like God has sort of really shown me in the past is that that aspect of judging is something that really causes us to get stuck. One of the, so I'm just going to say, I'm going to share a couple of stories in a minute. How are we doing for time? 20, quarter to nine. What time am I supposed to be finishing? Whenever I want. Okay, right. <laughs> You're up for midnight? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just thinking of a lady that came to our wholeness course a few years ago. So we, at Woodlands Church, we run a wholeness course, which is really where people come and they just sort of put their lives under the spotlight of God and say, show me anything about myself that I need to know, that I need, where I need healing or freedom to help me to understand myself. And this lady, I went, I went to pray with her after the, at the end of the evening, and she was weeping. She was about 50. She was weeping, weeping, and she could barely speak. And um, we had been talking about forgiveness and hurt from the past, and she said to me this thing. She said, for the last 20 years, I became a Christian 20 years ago, and for 20 years I've been trying to forgive my mum and dad. I grew up in a family where nothing was ever good enough for me, for, for them. And they criticized me constantly. They never said they loved me, and I was never good enough. And yet they demanded, from, even now at my age of 50, they expect me to be around there regularly, sorting things out. They treat me a bit like a servant. I do love them, she said, but I feel like they don't love me. And that's been incredibly painful. And she was really weeping. And she said, the thing is, I've tried to forgive for 20 years. And I, I must be doing something wrong. Because I just feel like every time I go back into my home, I'm just knocked down again. Because they do it again every single time. What am I doing wrong? I don't feel like a golden key has been put into my hand <laughs> to set me free. I just feel like this isn't working. And how do I do it? And one of the things that, I'll come back to her story in a little bit, but because it was amazing what actually happened to her. But one of the things that you realize is when you become a Christian, she'd actually been a Hindu, this lady. And for her, forgiveness, her, the forgiveness from God to her was an absolute revelation. And so she felt like, I do want to carry on this thing. It's amazing, the mercy of God. <laughs> I want to be someone who passes on mercy. I can see that it's supposed to work like that. And one of the, the very first thing that we've got to recognize if we want to be somebody who's powerfully able to forgive others is we've got to know that we're forgiven ourselves. And Jesus very much linked that together with being able to forgive others and, and know God's love and mercy is knowing that we've been forgiven do you know that? You're dead certain that you are forgiven across the board. That I want to say this to you. God finds it easy to forgive you. He finds you easy to be with. He doesn't have to eke out his mercy to you because you're a bit tricky. You are not complicated to God. You're easy. He is all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, and all-loving. And you are easy to be with for God. Dallas Willard, the great sort of writer and teacher, somebody once said to him, think of one word to sum up what God is like. And he thought for a little while and he said, relaxed. And I think it's true. I think that God is not this pent-up, irritated being who's finding you hard to be with, who is struggling to find enough mercy to get to you. Not at all. He can do anything. He is great, mighty, and powerful, and he has done something to make sure he can forgive you. He has gone to the utmost 
length that anyone could go to to make sure he can get forgiveness to you. He sent Jesus to die. Forgiveness and mercy for God was not cheap. He sent Jesus to die for your sake so that he could give you his mercy and grace. And if you want to be a forgiving person, you've got to know that at the core of your being, that you are forgiven by God every day and his mercy comes to you easily like a great flow. You know, one teacher says an ocean of mercy is available to us, not a little bit. The second thing you've got to do if you want to forgive people is you've got, to, you've got to be willing to take down walls. Remember the thing we were saying about our instinct is to defend ourselves because we feel powerless. You've got to be willing to take down walls. It's not that easy to do sometimes, but that's part of it. And you've got to be willing to release people. Now, the best way that I, ha- I have found of teaching people how to forgive others is this, is using the analogy of a bank account. Has anyone ever had a joint bank account with somebody else? Put your hand up if you have. Okay, so when you have a joint bank account, you're both signatories on the bank account, and you can both access the funds, yes? And you're both supposed to pay into the funds. So... The idea is you're both paying in, and when you need to withdraw from it, then you can come and get your funds. And relationships are like that. They're like joint bank accounts. You're both supposed to be paying in, both supposed to be able to withdraw from it. But when we're hurt, when people hurt us and harm us, it's as if one day they come to that bank account and they withdraw all the funds, they put it into debt, and then they go. And they leave you carrying a debt And if you have ever been, had a debt against you, you'll know what that feels like. You know, you might know that there are reminders from the bank, yeah, if you're in debt. And they're very recognisable because they use a different typeface, don't they? They use a font that is very serious and grown up and kind of a little bit judgmental. It's Times New Roman, it's that one. (laughs) Whereas if they're offering you a loan, it's Ariel, you know, Helvetica, it's very friendly, but, you know... Serious things, if you're in debt, there are reminders. And that's what it's like, isn't it? If somebody's hurt you, a mother, a father who's been absent to you, a friend, a colleague who's criticised you, if that has happened, there are reminders all the time, the ping of, oh, they've come into the room, or somebody else has mentioned them, or something like that has happened. The reminders, just like when there's a debt. Because when there is a debt, the reminder is painful. So how, how do you get out of a, of a debt in a joint bank account? What can you do? Can you just say, well, I don't, sorry, I'm just going to close this one now. There's 500 pounds in debt, but I'm just going to close it. Is that all right, bank? No. You can't do that because you're not allowed to close it until the debt has been paid. In order to close that bank account, to get out of that relationship, that debt has got to be paid. And then, then you can close it and get out. And for some of us, we realize that there are people in the past who have hurt us and harmed us, and even people in the recent past who have hurt us, and we're tied to them by this debt. And we want, in all our hearts, we just want to get away from that and to get out of the situation of debt. And we know that we need to close the account and say, I'm going to let you off in order to get out of it. And what I have found in praying with people is that you can actually come, you can come to God and say, this person owes me. This person has harmed me. There is a lack here in my relationship with this person. They've left a hole And you know, God, I don't think they can pay it back because it was 20 years ago or five years ago or they don't even get it. They don't understand it and they can't pay it back. And God, so I'm going to need you to pay the debt. And this is something that I think I have seen over and over again is that it is possible to forgive if we ask God to pay off people's debts. And I just want to encourage you to be thinking about that with people in your history, in your past. And sometimes they're people that are way back and sometimes they're very recent. That you can go to God and ask God to pay their debts on their behalf. 
And that when you do that, you can say to people, I'm going to give you mercy. Because God has given me mercy. He has paid into my bank account funds to let you off. And I'm going to give you mercy. And I think Jesus really believed that us human beings, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be powerful people. Jesus is saying, you can forgive your enemies because you are a merciful person. Because I am going to be living in you. And today, this is true of you. That you are a powerful person. And that no one else has to change or do anything else or wake up or realize anything in order for you to be free of debts and moving on from the things that have happened to you. No one else has to change in order for me to be free. And I think that's one of the most empowering realities that Jesus gives us. That no one else has to do anything else in order for me to be at peace to be healed, to be free, to be whole. Because we can come to God and ask him to pay into those places where there are debts. And if, I think that as we sort of, I'm going to come to, come to the end in a minute, but when I um, was praying with that lady, just going back to her, I was saying to her, you know, you can do this. And I went through this process and said, let's just pray. And so she prayed and she, she forgave her parents one last time. And she said, in a, in, she said to them, she pretended they were there and she said, mum and dad, you owe me a debt of parenting. All my life you've criticized me. You haven't nurtured me. You haven't, it's been harmful to me. My self-esteem is so low. I feel so powerless because of how you have been with me. And you're still being like it. You owe me this huge debt of parenting. But you can't pay. You can't. I see it now. I've been waiting for you to come and pay back what you owe me. And some of you in the room are in that place right now. You're waiting for someone to come and pay back, make it okay. And they're not going to because they don't get it or they're not here. They might not even be alive anymore. And you're stuck in the past because you're waiting for them to change. And God says to you, you don't have to do anything. They don't have to do anything. You, I'm going to pay into your bank account my love and mercy, my healing, my power and my freedom. And you can say to them, I release you. You owe me, but you can't pay. And so I'm going to hand you over to God, and I bless you. You go to God. He will do with you whatever he wants to. I trust him to be the judge. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to get out of this relationship, out of my stuck place. And she did that. And then she said, but what am I going to do when I go back home? Because they're going to start all over again. And the debt's going to start building up again, isn't it? And what we agreed was that she had to basically stay in this. Basically, she had to recognize that God had placed in her his supernatural mercy, his presence. He was inside her. And so that when she went home to see her mum and dad, there would be a wave of criticism coming at her. There would be. And the reality is, for some of you who have to forgive people, you're still in it. And the people are still doing it. Is it possible for you to be a powerful person when somebody else is like that? Well, yes, it is. <laughs> because what you can do is you can adopt a posture of mercy towards them that is like God. You can be God to them, to your enemies. You can love those who persecute you. Pray for those who hate you, that mistreat you. You can be God to them because Jesus is inside you and he says to you, you can be merciful because I am merciful. So she said, she rehearsed it in the room. She said, mum and dad, when you criticize me, I'm going to give you mercy. Not because you deserve it, but because I'm merciful. That's who I am. That's who God has made me to be. I'm a powerful person, and I can give mercy to whoever I choose. That's a very powerful thing to do, because Jesus wants you to be a powerful person.
So in all of your life, in all of your circumstances, whether it's somebody who just cuts you off in the traffic <laughs> or somebody who's done something terribly difficult and harmful to you, and I'm not trivializing the things that happen to us, but I'm saying that God has made you a powerful person. His mercy is resident in your life, resident. And he is expecting you to draw from the supernatural power of the presence of the Holy Spirit wherever you are, with whoever you're with, and say, I'm going to give you mercy. Not because you deserve it, but because I am merciful and you're not going to stop me being like that. So she did. She went back home, home and she went to see her parents. And I saw her about five weeks later and she just said to me, she just said, everything has changed. She was beaming from ear to ear. <laughs> and this was about seven years ago and I know her well. And she has totally transformed by that one prayer time because she was already doing all the right stuff, you know. So her heart was a place where she really was cultivating a friendship with God. It wasn't, but this one thing, she was feeling like she was at the mercy of them instead of having the mercy to give to them. And she said, you know, it did come. The wave of criticism came, and I just felt compassion, the compassion of Jesus. I just felt like it didn't matter what was said to me because I had compassion on them. It was as if I was aware of the presence of Jesus in me and I felt powerful instead of powerless. And that was seven years ago. And, and it actually, it carried on and their relationship carried on for a little while. And then about a year later, she said, the most amazing thing happened to me. My dad left an answer phone message for me and he said for the first time in his life he told me he loved me. And she, she said, she left her, I just want to say to you this message, you know we love you, don't you? And he died not, not very long ago and I was talking to her the other day and she said, I, was, I stood at his funeral and I did a, a talk about my, my dad at his funeral and she said I felt completely at peace totally okay and you know it was it's an amazing story for me and it's amazing testimony of the power of forgiveness because you know this absolute fundamental thing no one else has to change their behavior their attitude their beliefs about me in order for me to be free because God has put in me his Holy Spirit and his power to give out mercy to whomever I want to give it to. And my security comes from him, not from what other people say. So Jesus ends that passage by saying, by this you will be known as the children of God, because the Father gives mercy to the righteous and the wicked. This is what the children of God look like on the earth, full of mercy regardless of what happens to them. So it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? But I feel like there's a reward in it that is worth going there. To know that you're God's child and to know that you're a powerful person, operating in the power of the Spirit, whatever happens to you, sets you on a course for life that is towards abundant life. And all I can say to you is that um, I have seen repeatedly over the years many, many people just quietly unlock the doors of their prisons without their prisoners, their jailers knowing it. They just slip out the door and nothing external changes, but they're going because they're living in the power of the Spirit and they're dipping into the supernatural power of God's mercy that is far beyond my natural human capacity to forgive people and let them off. And I want, to just, I want to pray as, we, as I just come to the end. I just want to pray for us that we will be conscious of this ocean of mercy and grace and resource that is available to each one of us to live in community together as church, in our families, which are complicated, in our friendships and our workplaces, to be powerful people filled with the Holy Spirit and able to do what is necessary to demonstrate the love of God so that people will talk about the church as being a place of mercy 
And honestly, that isn't what they say about the church, is it? They say it's a place of judgment and accusation. And yet, Jesus says, you want, I want you to be known as the children of God, like my Father who is merciful on everyone. So, does that feel like something that you want to welcome into your life and your mind? <laughs> so, I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to um, have a little prayer time together where all of us are going to respond to this. And then Laura's going to come and share a few words. Because I think sometimes, you know, when... Go, on, go ahead and stand up. Sometimes I think when... The Spirit is at work, and he says something to you that is specifically about your situation. It's such a relief to know you've been seen by the God that made you and knows you and loves you. Because there's a little bit of us that can say, oh, yeah, but what about my situation? Or what about me? I'm particularly weak at this or a bit rubbish. Or, yeah, but my, if you knew my parents or if you knew this situation that I've been stuck in. And God knows us. He knows what we're like and he gets us. And so um, Laura's been praying and we've both been praying for you and asking God, show us if there's anything particular you want to put your finger on. But first of all, we're all going to pray Because I don't think there's anyone that could say they don't want the ocean of mercy that is coming at us, for one thing, for our own sins, that will enable us to be that kind of powerful, merciful person. So why don't you put your hands out? Putting your hands out like that is like saying, God, there's nothing in my hands. Look, I cannot bring anything to this table I haven't got the power in myself and I haven't got that kind of grace and mercy for others. So God, first of all, we, just, we thank you for amazing grace. Every person in here, you need to hear this. God finds you easy to love. He finds your company easy. He doesn't strain to forgive you. His mercy towards you is like an ocean, an infinite ocean. He is infinitely patient with you. That means he never gets to the end of his patience. His nerves are not frayed. He's not irritated with you. He loves you easily, freely, with joy and peace. So I pray, Holy Spirit, just come down. Come, Holy Spirit. Come fill this room now with the mercy of heaven. The fullness. Where there are hurts, I pray, God, send your healing power now. Come, Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's as if there's a wound in our hearts and God's perfect love that drives out fear goes straight to the wound and I Pray it in now. God, let your perfect love touch wounds. Where there are lack, where there's a lack, where there's a kind of, I feel like there's a lack for some people who have um, been, been, had that same situation of having, having critical parents, critical mothers and fathers. And for some of us, it's way back. And we realize that those things formed us early in life. They set us on a trajectory that was not easy. And God says to you, I am not critical. I am not judging you. You've passed over from death to life. I've put my spirit in you. I've made my home in you. I forgive you. I receive you, I give you mercy, and I love you perfectly. So let your love come, I pray, God. And we just bring you to, I think you can do this yourself um, on reflection afterwards, but just in prayer, God, we say to you, we recognize there may well be people that we need to forgive and release. And I pray, God, that by the power of your spirit now you would increase that sense of being merciful because, Jesus, you are in us. 
and we just put in our sights internally in our mind people that we need to forgive and we say I'm releasing you I forgive you I hand you over to God I give you mercy you don't have to change because I am a merciful person and I free you I bless you love your enemies Jesus says pray for those who hurt you mistreat you release them bless and do not curse and God I just pray for freedom to come in the room now freedom from the past I thank you that you're slipping into every person's hand the golden key it's in your hand you can have it you can free yourself from your dad your mum work colleagues friends the key is in your hand turn it release them and walk away come Holy Spirit I pray for your healing Laura do come on up and share any, any thoughts that you've got Yeah, I just think while we're in this place of prayer, I just felt like God wanted to remind us this evening that um, the way he works is he's, you know, supernatural. And so I just, yeah, we just thank you, Lord, that you are God of the supernatural and just by your spirit that you can bypass kind of even the things that we think are impossible or, or defy logical reason. I just thank you, Lord, that you're, you're supernatural. So we just invite you to just examine us, Lord, and to supernaturally bring that freedom that we need. And I just had these few words earlier on when I was praying for tonight. So um, one was that God wants to bring freedom from things that people here maybe have accepted as normal for a long time. And so I just ask Holy Spirit that you might reveal what that is. That, um, if there's some things that, yeah, that people here, Father, just um, maybe they've accepted that that's just the way that they are or that's what we've got to live with. I just pray, Lord, that you would shine the light of your spirit on that, Lord, and just bring freedom to those areas. I also had a picture of a a can of fizzy drink and it was being shaken. And I just feel like maybe some of you feel like you've been shaken up. And um, actually with a can to release pressure, what you often do is open it. I just feel like God wants you to open up to him tonight and he's going to relieve the pressure. But I think so often, I know for my own life, sometimes I can just sort of almost hold on to the stuff that's going on inside of me and just assume that God knows what's happening. But I think God works by our invitation. So I just pray, Father God, that you just show us We'd invite you in, that we'd open ourselves up to your healing, and to your wholeness, and to your power of your spirit. Um, also had a picture of um, a truck that had been driven off-road. And then interestingly, as I was driving to pick Claire up earlier on, I actually saw a car that had very obviously been off-road, but it wasn't a car you would expect to have been off-road, and it was covered in mud. And I just felt like God was saying, actually, sometimes we can kind of go in unexpected places or end up you know, where we don't expect to be. But I just feel like God wants to bring cleansing tonight, just wants to bring just kind of a, a supernatural cleansing and healing, um, if that applies to you. Um, also had the name Susan, um, that God wants to give you a gift. Um, I had a trumpet player, that maybe there's someone, I don't know whether it's someone that plays the trumpet, or there's just someone here that's just felt overlooked, or like they haven't quite had a voice, that God just wants you to know that he hears you, and that, um, yeah that you have a voice to be heard. And then uh, when we came in earlier on, I was sat in the canteen, and it's the first time that God's spoken to me through a Simon and Garfunkel lyric, but it's not the strangest thing I've had, so I'll share it. Um, and I just felt like him saying, that the lyric just kept going round and round in my head, and it was like a bridge over troubled waters. And I just really feel like God is just wanting to say here tonight that he wants to be your bridge. Actually, whatever you're going through, whatever's going on, that he is a bridge over troubled waters. So we just ask Holy Spirit, you would just come... And would you be that bridge? Just thank you, Lord, that um, your power and your presence is here. So what we're going to do for the, the, last, the next bit of time, um, we're going to have some ministry. So I'm, uh, we're just going to invite people, if, if you want to respond to any of those words particularly that Laura has shared, or anything else that you feel like, oh, I, I could do with some prayer around this, Or if you just feel like I would love a prayer for a fresh touch of the Spirit so that I feel like a powerful person, then um, there's a little bit of room up here. And I think it would be, we're we're really happy to pray for you that 
If you want to stay in your seats, I just want to recommend there's three things you could do. One is you could get a notepad out or your phone or whatever and, and just, just say, God, what are you saying to me particularly about this? Is there anything you want me to do in response to this? Another thing you could do is at the back there's some communion and there's a little bit of bread and grape juice, I think. And if you want to just grab some of that and go and have it with somebody in the room, that can be that communion is an amazing way of celebrating unity. It is the meal that Jesus calls all his followers into to be united in sharing. And it's a good way to bring healing to a relationship, or it's a good way to say, in this church, we stand for unity above all things. So you could do that. Um, or you can pray with each other. That also would be a good thing to do. But we're just going to go into a little, maybe the band could come up and just pray quietly, and, and we're going to pray for people up at the front if there's something you would really like to respond to. Is that okay? So five minutes, ten minutes or so of ministry. So just as the band comes up, just come and get a bit of prayer here if you'd like some. There's a few of us who will pray for you or do any of those other things. Okay.